This program is brought to you by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu. This presentation is delivered by the Stanford Center for Professional Development, providing graduate-level education to working professionals online, on campus, and on-site. For more information, please visit study.stanford.edu. As many of you know, programming is hard and parallel programming is even harder. Unfortunately, parallel processing is becoming increasingly important because we're demanding things that once were, the, were considered high-performance computing and expensive. To address these issues, Intel has been shipping for some time multi-core processors and doing a lot of work to put out more support for parallel hardware. They're also shipping tools to make this hardware more useful. Renee James is VP and General Manager of Intel Software and Solutions Group, and Wei Li, senior, senior Principal Engineer, are here today to tell us about some of those tools. Good afternoon. I want to make a couple of comments about uh, today. We have two presenters because I'm going to give you an overview of what's motivating Intel and the problems that we think we see in, in the environment, especially the software environment. And then Wei Li, who some of you may know, has taught at Stanford before, um, PhD in uh, computer science, specifically in compilers and parallel programming. And he's currently the associate editor for um, the Transactional Programming Languages and Systems, I think you call it TOPLUS, right? And uh, Wei is doing a lot of our forward-looking work, uh, breakthrough work, and of course is a major contributor to what we do in compilers and our thinking there. So Wei's going to go probably as deep as anyone in this room would want to go and will take questions. And the first part, I'm going to give you an overview of what Intel does in this area, what's motivating our activity here, and then uh, we will continue from there. Okay? So first of all, many people don't actually know that we do a lot of software at Intel. In fact, Steve McGady, who's joined us in his tuxedo because he and I are going to uh, benefit for Gordon Moore, was actually one of my first managers at Intel. Um, in the software group, in the labs, and we were working on 960 tools to begin with and then moved on to more exciting technologies. But in fact, we have been doing software technology to enable our silicon for the greater part of, I don't know, what, 25 years, 20 years at least? Yeah. And um, what has evolved out of that is actually a robust uh, set of tools and enabling activities to help developers whether they be in academia and or in independent companies or large corporations, help them to use the performance and features in the underlying silicon. And as it relates to multi-core or parallel programming, we're going to talk very specifically about our activities there. Uh, we're a very global organization. <laughs> we're actually quite, quite a large group of people with um, highly specialized skills. So we have people who do BIOS work, people who do OS work, people who do compilers, et cetera. We're all over the world um, with a, a large teams uh, in Russia, China, Argentina, and then, of course, in North America. But what it allows us to do is to really try and collect some of the great thinking through our university programs and our efforts to bring in interns. So we've grown sites where we have you know, very interesting pockets of knowledge and kind of grown up that way and through acquisitions. Um, one of the most interesting teams in the high performance tools is actually in Champaign, Illinois, which doesn't surprise many of you here probably. A lot of graduates from. One unique piece about the organization that I run is that we are completely cross-platform. And I mean that from a software perspective. We do work on Linux. We do a tremendous amount of work. Um, obviously, it goes without saying in Windows, but we also now do the Apple work as well as Solaris. I think if you probably haven't missed the announcement that most of the major system suppliers are using Intel Silicon. We're um, deeply engaged in open source Java as well as Java with, with Sun, um, VMware, 
Zen and other contributions. I was just telling Steve that our team um, has really embraced open source and we're doing a tremendous amount of work and contributions. We've been very focused on um, virtualization and the OS and the BIOS layer, but we're kind of moving on now. And one of the things that we did most recently is we open sourced one of our threading libraries called the Threading Building Blocks and put it out because we decided that it was actually more beneficial to the market for us to move things forward by putting out a library than keeping it for ourselves. And revenue wasn't our objective. Our objective is actually to help people to be able to use multi-core and to do parallel programming. So we have a variety of products. Um, Wei's going to talk about a few of them. I'm just going to give you a very brief overview. Obviously, um, people know us for our compilers, people in the industry, certainly who want to get high performance know us most for our compilers. We have um, an exquisite team, which Wei is part of. We have anal analytic tools, performance libraries, as I said, and we're going to talk more about the threading tools specifically. We're not going to talk about our cluster tools today, but we d it is another thing that you can get access to online. We have a lot of this technology now in forums online where you can get sample code, you can blog about it, you can join virtual training sessions about it through Second Life or other. We have a, a bunch of new things that we've launched in the last year to help people get engaged with Intel on, on all of these topics. Okay, so specifically, the, in the last 18 months, um, we have become very focused on putting together a set of tools for parallel programming. And starting with what we know and love, we've added the threading building block product, which I just told you we open sourced a version of it. Um, we've added the threading analysis tools. And we have a couple of new tools that will be coming out in the next year to build on top of that. All of our products work, as I said, multi-platform, Linux, Windows, what have you. They plug into the normal IDEs that you would want to develop in, so it's very simple to get engaged with them. Um, we even ship some of our, our products with Microsoft's um, environment in there. As I said, if you want to learn more about threading building blocks, you can go, and it's open sourced. So why multi-core? This probably seems very obvious to this, in, to this audience. And tonight we're going to actually honor Gordon for, for his work, pioneering work here. But it's uh, you know, quite straightforward to understand that what Intel builds is performance. That's what we build and sell, is, is performance through silicon. And it's also not going to come as a surprise to anyone in this room that power and performance, they're not a linear relationship. And if you continue to build power, uh, performance, power is growing at um, a squared rate. So this is all, so I should say, normalized to 486 performance, just to give you kind of a relationship between what the power and performance scale that we are looking at. So several years ago, we had a lot of internal dialogue about what we were going to do. How are we going to continue to build performance, which is the core of our business, and deliver that in a way that fit into the power envelope of what we thought was very small at the time and has only shrunk since. So if you think back five to seven years ago, laptops were not the predominant way that people did computing. They used desktops. The power envelope of desktop, of course, was significantly higher. And we were worried about that. Even though we knew that Moore's Law would extend out for another you know, foreseeable future, we were very concerned about the power. So I want to just give you a little bit more on the motivation. So on the, um, I guess on your left, is performance, normalized to one, and on the right is power. So if we double the performance, or overclock 20%, right, we see the nonlinear power grow. So it's obvious that if we take down performance, right, power goes down. So we, you know, it wasn't really that complicated to figure out. We had to deliver performance through cores instead of through gigahertz. So we made a fundamental shift in our product line, which is coming out right now that you're seeing between core, the core two products and then everything after that, quad core, eight way, eight cores coming behind that, goes on and on. Um, and we said, we're going to be very focused on delivering performance through cores. So we shifted the power wall, which we called the linear problem, the power wall, to a software problem. And at the time, 
I think the software people thought, you know, hold on, this is a really big programming challenge. How are you going to take advantage of this, Intel? But Intel is predominantly a hardware company, so the, the significance and the magnitude of the task ahead of us um, might not have been as well understood as it is today, five years later. And our organization, I'd say, easily a third to almost a half of them are focused on this problem, either through tools or through research. So what I'm showing here is the percentage of Intel volume that has shifted from single core to multi-core. So as you can see, we're approaching 75% um, at the end of last year. So right now, we're basically way off, way towards 100% of our volume being multiple cores. That'd be two cores or, or greater. So as we look forward, this problem, I like to think of it as a challenge for computer scientists. It's not really a problem, a challenge, is uh, looming large. Right? And we've done a lot of work, and Wei's going to talk about some of the work we've done to get ourselves in very good shape, I think, for four core machines. But when we start to talk about eight core and above, I think one of the things we're here to talk to you about is how can we get some help and engage more deeply with academia in, in working on some of these problems to make parallel programming easier because not everybody's going to be able to become a specialist in parallel programming. So that, those are the things that we're thinking about. So our job is to make sure that the software industry makes the most of our performance. And I, I've talked briefly about this problem, which is the growing gap. And that's the focus of Whaley's efforts and the rest of the technology discussion. Today, we're going to talk about parallelism within an application. Everybody here knows about all the different kinds of parallelism. I, we wanted to focus today's discussion a little bit more finely into a specific area. Um, not to say we're not working on all of these other problems, because inside of my group we are actually looking at all the different software parallelism issues, um, each one with its own set of projects and complications. So not to spend too much time on the tools, because it's all, all things that, that you can learn about. Um, <coughs> we are working and will introduce, as I said briefly in my introduction, in this next year, what you'll see from us is a full suite that's very organized around discovery of parallelism. Uh, expression is where most of our tools are today, and we have um, the bulk of our work has been in, express in expression in uh, what we're calling confidence, which is, is the debugging phase, um, and, then, and then tuning. Um, but we're, we're really, right now, focusing our next set of tools on the discovery and trying to make that easier. Um, I want to mention a couple of things about our university program before I sit down, because I won't come back up except to answer questions with Wei Li. We have accelerated our university program in the last um, couple of years. These are universities that we're engaged with who have curriculum on parallel programming where we're actively training developers today. Um, we're starting post uh, undergraduate training now or retraining for people who may want to get more familiar with with what's going on we um, as I said have launched all of these online capabilities and the last thing is you can always now come to Intel um, to Intel.com and ask for a live person to engage with if you're stuck on, on a problem so we've kind of tried to set it up so you can get online experts and then you can actually get a live expert if, if you get stuck and try and, and try and help people through this. At Stanford, we um, are engaged on a multi-core program. Um, we've, of course, donated equipment and, and funded some, uh, some research. There's um, several courses that you can see that are supporting the curriculum, um, much of which Willie is going to talk about. We are very interested in doing more. And so part of our discussion today is hopefully to pique your interest in what we're doing and enroll people uh, further. So with that, um, I'd like to introduce Wei Li. And um, you can ask questions at any time. Please feel free to interrupt. Uh, and Steve will poke Wei Li, I'm sure. <laughs> Wei's taught here before, so he knows what to expect. And I'll answer anything that else that uh, you might want to know. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, it's working. Okay, thanks, Renee. Um, 
glad to be back. Um, actually, I was teaching here two years ago uh, with uh, Professor Jeff Bowman teaching uh, CS243 advanced compilers. Um, and was in the other room, so we were actually wandered into the other room, so that was the room for this presentation as well. Um, anyway, glad to be back. Um, so let me go to the next slide. So challenges for parallel programming. Now thinking about this particular um, uh, topic here, uh, I remember about 20 years ago now, um, make me feel old. Uh, when I was a graduate student like you, uh, I was working on uh, compiling for parallel machines. Uh, so I was, uh, my PhD thesis was actually on uh, compiling for NUMA machines. I don't know if you have heard about the term NUMA here. Yeah? It's coming back also, right? Uh, so we're using uh, Kendall Square Research, that probably too old for you. BBM Butterfly, you know, that was what I used for my, for my thesis. So, so 20 years later, we're still talking about challenges for parallel programming, right? Um, so now, what's the difference, right? So we, you know, 20 years ago was a, really was a golden age of, of uh, parallel programming. Actually, it was a lot of funding from DARPA, a lot of funding from NSF. You know, a lot of us uh, young graduate students worked really hard, tried to make it work for high-performance computing. Um, and uh, we made good progress, actually, uh, in the past 20, 30 years. Um, so now, what's different? Well, the difference is, used to be, as, as, uh, as you know, um, at the beginning of the introduction, used to be parallel programming was, was part of this high-performance computing domain, where it was very much a, a niche market, right? Uh, we got a lot of good people try to, you know, uh, paralyze various different applications from national labs, from uh, big companies doing simulations, and so on. And, uh, um, but it was very much a niche uh, market, okay, and and uh, it's very expensive to buy these machines, by the way, uh, buy these uh, supercomputers as well. So now, when I'm looking at what I have, right, uh, this is Lee's laptop. I don't know what he has, but my laptop, I was running some parallel program yesterday, and I find out you know it was a two-core machine, and actually I can get speed up on my laptop. It was really a, in some sense, it's a parallel machine. It is a really true parallel machine, uh, the tiny laptop I have there. So, so you don't have to spend multi-million dollars to buy parallel machines anymore. You have these machines everywhere. And uh, as Renee said, you know, this is Intel's direction. We're going uh, um, pretty much everywhere with multi-core. So that means we really need to look at different applications, right? So no longer the applications people do uh, you know, in national labs and so on. So what kind of new apps do people do, right, on your laptop or maybe on your, on your desktop? So, so a group of people in, in, our, in, you know, in our organization, they were thinking about this problem. They say, what can I try uh, you know, when, we, when we try to thread, more, thread other applications? So as a compiler team, the obvious thing is, hey, can we try the compiler itself? Right? And we try to learn what kind of things we may run into that other people will do parallel programming that you know, most of national lab people will not run into. Right? We're no longer in the, in the domain of Fortran, looking at the you know, matrix computation, matrix multiply, and, and so on, right? So what are the new apps we may want to parallelize, and what are the new issues people run into? And as a result, as a tool of the organization, you know, what kind of tools we want to develop, okay? So that's, that was sort of the original motivation to try out one, one, one example here. So I'm going to share you the things we have learned, uh, and then after that, we'll share with you what kind of tools we're building uh, within Intel. Again, feel free to ask questions. Um, I think I need to stop be before 5.15. Renee has something very important to go to. So, uh, so but you know, we have time. Just um, feel free to ask, ask any questions as, as we go along. Okay? So how many of you have taken compiler courses? Most of you. Good. Okay? So you know roughly what's in the compiler, right? And uh, you know, usually we have uh, we have a front end in the compiler, and uh, then we go through a whole bunch of optimizations, and then we do code generation at the end, right? And uh, and also nowadays we are looking at uh, uh, sort of more advanced uh, optimizations like uh, interprocedure analysis. You, know, you will look you need to look at multiple procedures at the same time, right? Um, so intuitively, when you are 
compiling a set of files or set of routines, you would think the compiler should have enough parallelism, right? There is parallelism in the compiler, right? Because that's obvious because when you have, when you compile one routine versus the other routine, these things are usually independent. You don't depend on what, usually they're independent, right? At least the first phase of it. Yes? With me so far? Yeah, that's right. That, that's, that's a good point. So, so for separate compilation of these different procedures, they can be independent. But once you, so there's a phase in between where you want to collect information from separate procedures, then you merge it, then you go parallel again. Right? But at the high level, at the coarse green level, they are very much parallel. Right? Okay? So you would think we just parallelize it and then you know, get a lot of parallelism uh, speed, speed up from this. So this is the high-level architecture of the compiler, where we have mainly, you know, uh, don't worry about details, but at the three different levels. At the high level, we are going through different, you know, parsing different routines, and then we compile different routines, right? And then for each uh, routine, you will go in there, you do a whole bunch of optimizations, your favorite optimizations. Yeah. And then once you're done with your optimizations, you go co-generate. So, so the, in the middle part is the co-generation, is the optimization, and then the last part has the global optimization and also the co-generation in it. Okay, so that's very simple. Now, when somebody um, who knows the compiler very well, so he would just go in and say, "Hey, where do I want to parallelize?" So they sort of roughly know where it is, right? So, so here uh, we want to go as high as you can. Right? So the difference between what we do for this kind of application versus you know, the typical numerical application is numerical application in high performance computing, you tend to look at sort of single loop nets, right? And you have enough of matrix computation going on, it is sufficient for you to get performance, parallel performance out of this. But in this case, what you really want to do is go as high as you can, right? So the highest you can go is the, is the main procedure, what we call main.c here. And you go in there, you look for one particular loop. You know, the, the obvious loop is the last loop. But for each function, you optimize this, right? And that should be a very straightforward way of getting, getting uh, speed up there. So let's try to parallelize it, right? So we, you can use your favorite you know, programming model, uh, either creating multiple threads or OpenMP or whatever it is, and try to parallelize that particular loop, okay? No question? Presumably, there's a higher level, which is just the standard parallel make files, the parallel make program, which works pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah, that's right. So, in a, in a real setting, um, this will work very well. And uh, uh, the reason for this is actually uh, the two reasons. One is uh, we want to use it as a test case to see what happens. So, so this doesn't have to be, you know, very realistic. But the other is also a realistic reason, which is, as you said, we do IPO. Right. We do IP, we do interposition analysis, ultimately we, everything is actually at the link time. So, so you do have to worry about this and parallel make will not work anymore in that case. Okay. Um, so you do parallel, then what we find out was, you know, surprise, surprise, it's not parallelized, right? Uh, it's not even generating the right code because once you put simple parallel construct over there, you run into a lot of dependencies. Okay. Now, why do we have all these dependencies? I guess, I, I guess you all know the definition of dependencies and all that, right? I don't have to introduce that. Um, so that usually means um, when we design a compiler, I think we started at least more than 10, 15 years ago. And this version, well, we made a, made a change along the way, but this particular version actually started, um, at least the middle part started about more than 10 years ago. So when people design something like compiler, they, they didn't really have this multi-core in mind, right? They didn't think, oh, 10 years down the road, we need to parallelize, right? So when they designed this, they treated it as a sequential program, okay? And, uh, you know, as we imagine this may be true for most people outside, even now, right? All the ISVs, they never, when they design a code, you know, usually don't think of parallel. Um, so as a result, we have, um, 
quite number of global variables in it. Right? You know what global variable is, right? So when you have a global variable, you have all kinds of dependencies. So conce even conceptually, that particular loop can be parallel. Because of those global variables, you have dependencies. So one, you know, one guy updates one that global variable, the other procedure is, the, uh, the combination of the other procedure is reading that global variable, you have a dependency. And that's really artificial, right? Because from algorithm, pure algorithm perspective, you should be parallel. But the way, because the way we implement it, it has dependencies, okay? So in this particular case, we have something called threshold. So in the compiler, you know, we, we have all kinds of heuristics to decide whether we will do, do optimization or not, and we have some kind of <coughs> threshold variable inside. So when we're looking at this particular um, um, way of doing parallelization, what we find is you're really talking about parallelizing something which is much, much bigger than a loop nest. Okay? We're talking about something, uh, you know, the, the code involved in these parallel regions, actually they're spread it, uh, across a few hundred uh, uh, modules, actually probably 200 modules. And, uh, um, and also, you know, and, and actually there are a few thousand lines of code, actually close to 500,000 500, lines of code. So there's a lot of code involved uh, in order to make this thing parallel, okay? And we also look at how many global variables we have. It turned out to be, you know, close to 4,000 global variables, right? So it's, it's not an easy thing. You can just eliminate something and, and make it work. Um, and uh, the compile itself also has a serial portion. So it's not embarrassingly parallel. It does have a serial portion, which is conceptually when you when you finish your completion of each procedure, you need to write out. You, know, you have I/O going on. You write, you dump to dot, dot .obj file or dump somewhere. You do have serialization going on there, and that's something you cannot parallelize. You do have to dump the stuff out sequentially. Okay. So how do we um, resolve these things? So so our, so our team basically, you know used some of the tools I'll describe a little bit later, and, uh, and then go in, identify these various different global variables, and, and characterize them in different, you know, different categories, and then try to figure out how to fix these uh, dependencies, right? So when you have things like a global, you may have, you know, you may be able to, uh, in some cases, if, if the global is read-only anyway, and you're fine, right? And uh, if the global is always defined um, before it's used, and you're fine also because you can actually privatize it. You can, instead of using global variable, you make it local to that particular thread and everything will be fine, right? So there are different ways you can do to, to, uh, to eliminate these dependencies. And in the worst case scenario, like the IO case, you know, you have to put synchronization. So you, you, uh, you actually put locks around these, uh, these things and then, then serialize those, okay? So we actually managed to make it work, but it took uh, quite a bit of effort, and it was it was a good learning for us actually, even as a compiler, you know, compiler person, to see what the user may do when when they're working on an application like this. Okay. Yes. So you took an approach of ex taking an existing code base and massaging it into a parallel one. Do you have a sense for how close to ideally you got versus if you had to throw it all away and rewrite it the right way? Ah, that's 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 a good question. I I I don't know. Uh, um, I think what we um, what we managed to get is uh, very decent. I don't have the numbers with me. Um, we get uh, somewhere around what well, we tried the tried the compiler on a set of benchmarks and measure the compile time. I mean that's the, that's what we're getting, right? So on the, on the four socket machine, each has two cores. So you're talking about parallelizing of eight. Uh, we're getting somewhere around two x. So you may look at 2x, you can look at differently. You can say 2x is great, I've got 2x. And you can also look at us and say 2x out of 8 is nothing, right? Uh, you know, so, so now the question, interesting question is, what is optimal? How close are we with, uh, to optimal? Uh, as as you, all, you all learn, you know, MDOS law, right? So it's not like we can have magic, everything will be parallel, right? So, so we actually looked at what's, what is the best you can do for these cases. They're somewhere around uh, uh, 3, 3x. That's all the best you can do. And so we managed to get 2x out of 3x. I think in terms of that effort, it's quite reasonable. Uh, now, obviously, can you, can you, um, I'm not sure, yeah, I probably didn't quite answer your question. So the question is, can you redesign your compiler algorithms so 
so that you can actually get AX. And that's that's more of an open question. Or avoid at all because in your assumption it's sort of fitting that you use for instance procedural languages but you could also free write the entire thing in a way that, that you don't have to deal with global variables right that's yeah so that's what we are doing this yeah. I think ultimately if you have different algorithms that that will get give you the, the the you know the best you can get and short of that if you can eliminate the use of global variables say you, you know, we actually implement our compiler using C if you have a functional language, you have something different. I don't know. I mean, this is a more academic discussion, right? <coughs> uh, so, so, you know, what can you get? And I remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago, somebody actually did a thesis on parallelizing the compiler itself. And you can check that out, actually. A friend of mine who got his PhD from uh, Rutgers uh, with uh, Barbara Ryder, if you know, you know her. Um, so they showed in the compiler itself inherently, um, if you only look at one procedure at a time, you know, the amount of parallelism is, is not that much. But what we are doing that across procedures, you may actually have a better luck with that. Yes? So proportionally, where did you find the bottleneck? Was it the global variables or the inherent or sequential part of the compiler? The, uh, the, uh, the bottleneck <coughs> in this case actually is global variables. Because if you look at the example I showed earlier, because we're doing it at a high level, when you compile individual procedures, they are conceptually independent angles. So, so you should get very good. Now, obviously, we have a front end before this. So we cannot paralyze the front end part. So we don't have 100% available to us. So it depends on your, your input data. So your, your benchmark may be, um, you know, you, if your benchmark has only one routine, there's not much you can parallel, right? If your benchmark has hundreds of routines, then it's easier for us to parallel. Yes? So you're not seeing a change in uh, memory technology, a la what Burton Smith has tried to do. I'm not seeing memory. You're not seeing a change in memory technology, a la what Burton Smith is trying to do with full empty bits on memories and stuff like that. Uh, memories I'm, mean I'm transactional memory. Uh, transactional memory is one of the things you can do. Uh, yeah, well, Burton did the multi-threaded architecture, the Denel Core HEP and a number of other machines that he's not at liberty to talk about. Yeah, so. yeah. I actually talked to Ferdinand a few days, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, actually. Uh, but, so you're not seeing any fundamental change, though, in how people are um, using memory. Memory is just going to be memory to you. Memory is going to be memory to me, but if you're talking about synchronization, um, you know, if you wanted to go further, transactional memory may help here. Um, we, have, we didn't try transactional memory. Actually, I will talk about transactional memory later. We didn't try it, but, but it may help. Um, Did you try it on four cores and still get a 2x speed up? And, um, and also, was that wall clock? Yeah, time? yeah, or yeah. yeah. Time? yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember the number because I, I was not the one who did it, actually. Uh, so I can pick out. Speed up is about a 20% inherent parallelism. And I'm just wondering if the difference between that 1.2 and the 2x is just due to having the operating system run on a separate core. Heavy no, I don't think that would be a reason. Well, I mean, you could figure that out you know, by knowing whether it was all clock or CPU time sped up into that. So. Yeah, I, I don't think that would be a reason, but, um, but I'll dig out more data for you. Okay, so, so now, um, so, so I'll give you an example. For example, you sort of on the positive side, you'll get, get, get something. On the negative side, we actually require quite a bit of work. So what tools can help you? Um, as Renee mentioned a bit earlier, so in terms of parallelization effort, mainly we're looking at sort of four different you know, steps, right? You start from application, you need to figure out um, what kind of parallelism you have there, right? Because uh, sometimes easy, sometimes not, right? And the once you know where the parallelization, parallelization is, then how do you express it? You have four different programming models for it. Uh, and once you have a parallel code, you know, your job is not done yet. You need to figure out, make sure it is correct. And uh, that's not easy to do. And once, it's, once you have a correct program, um, you, know, you need to make sure your performance is there. Because ultimately, you're going there for performance. Right? So, so let's look at uh, these things one at a time. And uh, as you may have noticed, um, 
you know, some of them we already have products for it. For example, compilers, we already have a product for it. Uh, and the library, we have product for it. And some of them we don't have is Intel TBD, right? So these are the things we are working on right now, actually. So the, so the discover product um, is actually, you know, one of the things uh, a, a team I have uh, is working on right now. We don't have a product out yet, but they're still at the early stage. And, uh, you know, we're certainly um, interested in collaboration with academia on this also. Um, and some of these things you may have, uh, as, as Renee mentioned earlier, uh, these things have, uh, uh, they're actually quite sort of state-of-the-art products uh, the industry has for, as a product. Uh, and they also have roots in, in, the, in the research uh, academia also. For example, the, the confidence, uh, the threat checker. And both threat checker and uh, uh, threat profiler, uh, they, you know, they, have, they have the technologies originally, originated from uh, Cook and Associates. Uh, Dave Cook was a professor at the University of Illinois uh, many years ago, and he's with Intel right now. So some of these tools have a long history, and some of these things we are currently working on. Okay, so, as I, so I'll mention to you a mix of different kinds of things we have here. Okay, so what is Discover? Um, Discover tools, right? And as we mentioned earlier, you know, when you when you uh, com parallelize the compiler itself, right? And you need to figure out where you have parallelizing. So in, in that particular case, because we're compiler guys, we know, you know, if you've been with the compiler team for, for a while, you know exactly where to find these things. But when I recently I've been going out talking to customers, right? And you know, part of the benefit of being industry is we got to work with our ISVs and try to figure out what kind of code they have there. So instead of talking to the national lab guys we used to talk for many, many years, you know, we went to talk to some very small shops. I mean, there are people like 10-person company. You know, there's a one extreme case is a one-person company uh, we talked to. Um, but we had actually look at different applications like, uh, uh, you know, insurance company, right? Uh, or games when, when people look at these things. So in these, in these applications, they may not have Know, somebody who understands everything, right? So, so what we want is to have a tool to, tell, to help them figure out where you have parallelism, okay? So that's what the discover tool, tools are, uh, the design goal for this. So we want to um, not only um, take input, it's gonna be an interactive tool, we not only in take input from user, but also provide recommendation in terms of, you know, this is a place we think it's better to optimize, and this is a place we need some help from user to make it more parallel. And the reason we're doing this interactive tool is um, for those of us who've been do, working on parallelizing compilers for many years, you know, it was a very, it was a, it was a dream, right? As if you can automatically parallelize everything, everything would be cool, but it didn't quite work out that way. So, so, uh, so automatic parallelization is not very, you know, it's not practical. And uh, I think we think that the right thing to do is to have an interactive tool so people can do that. Um, and um, so here is just a screenshot of what we think this may be. Um, and again, it's not finalized yet. And basically, you know, if you look at a call graph, this is a call graph. If you're a cook, you call two different routines. One is called cook meat, the other called cook veggie, right? If you're a cook, I guess you do both. You want to balance diet here. Right? Uh, and then in both cases, you will call a routine uh, boil pot, okay? So in that case, uh, cooked meat and cooked veggies, they're actually parallel, right? And, but you also share something, right? So in that case, you know, what we want is we want to be able to get into the code and then analyze it and then make a recommendation to the user saying, hey, while we find out, you know, at the highest level, cooked meat and cooked veggies, they may potentially be parallel, right? But this is something you cannot do automatically within a compiler because they actually share something, right? So we will say they may be parallel, but they have dependencies. They actually, you know, have sharing. They all call a procedure called boil pop. Right? And then user can look at it, say, look at the, this, this recommendation and, and then, then figure out, you know, we may want to have a synchronization around boil pop and, uh, and then everything will be fine. Okay? So that's at a very high level of what the user interface uh, will be. Now, in terms of how to implement this internally, 
So we're looking at the various different kinds of technologies to make this thing happen. Obviously, you know, we need a GUI for it, and we need to make sure it is it is easily you know it's usable by by a lot of people, right? Um, and uh, but the core of this is not the GUI part. The core of this is the analysis part inside, right? And uh, we have been looking at different kinds of analysis. So so we are leveraging technologies developed in the past 20, 30 years in, in terms of static analysis like compiler technology, right? So we're grabbing some pieces from the compiler to do some analysis to figure out at the compile time how much you can, you can do here. And also we're looking at dynamic analysis, uh, looking at binary you know, instrumentation to run things and uh, give, some, give us some dynamic feedback to figure out what kind of uh, dependencies you may have here, okay? Questions so far? No? Okay. Um, now the second type of tools we have is uh, uh, express parallelism tools. And uh, it has uh, quite a few components in it. So basically looking at compiler plus a whole bunch of libraries. Okay? And one of the libraries, you know, Rene mentioned very earlier, was uh, threading building blocks. Well, it's, it's really designed for C++. Um, and uh, and uh, um, in a compiler, we actually support something called OpenMP. So how many of you have heard of OpenMP? Wow, okay. So this is a... HPC community here. Because um, when we went out to talk to customers, most people, you know, what is OpenMP? Never heard of Because we're talking to a different class of, of customers right now. Um, and uh, MKL, you probably know that also. You know, major, a lot of major, major computation, IPP, looking at different domains, um, and uh, it's also a, also a library for it. So let me spend a few slides on, on, on uh, two new things we have done recently. Uh, one is um, um, TBB. Okay. So, so why TBB? Because we're talking to um, new customers who are actually you know, not HPC guys. They, you know, they are their client, they're working on their client machine, building software for their client, for client machines, and they you know, probably use Windows, right? They're not Linux type either. Um, and on Windows, you know, the current way of doing programming is actually very primitive. I don't know how many of you have used Windows, Windows Threads. How many of you use Windows Threads here? A few, okay. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you have to create threads, you have to wait for all threads to synchronize, you have to manage threads. I mean, it's, it's the simplest example we have here, hello thread, actually not hello world, hello thread, takes quite a bit of uh, uh, coding to do, right? So that's the baseline we're starting with. Now, what does it, what does TBB do, right? So TBB is designed for C++. You can think of it conceptually as a, uh, as a new language, even though implementation-wise, it's not a new language, it's just a library. All you need to do is go to, I have the link right here, you know, www.threadingbuildingblocks.org. It's open source right now, you can get source as well. Source as well as binary. You can just go there, download a library, and then uh, link with whatever compiler you're using. It could be Intel compiler, it could be Microsoft compiler, right? Um, so it's a library, not a language. But, but it, to the user, it's more like a language extension, actually. So if you look at the right-hand side, you know, we have a few templates, parallel algorithm templates. For example, there's something called uh, uh, parallel for, right? Uh, so that means you have a loop. It's like a for loop you want to do a parallel version of, okay? So let's just take that as an example. Um, say we have a sequential example which does um, um, I don't know what it does. It's some kind of matrix operation, right? It's very, very straightforward. Um, and, uh, and then how do you parallelize it? Now, if you need to use Windows Thread, you have to create a whole bunch of stuff for this. Now, if you use uh, a TBB, what you can do is actually very simple. And uh, so we actually basically have two different uh, um, functions here. The top one is defining uh, the, the thread body, the amount of work you need to do in a thread body, right? And uh, so, so this is a, uh, um, you know, update velocity body, okay? And then in order to parallelize it, you just call something called parallel four, and then you pass a few parameters to it, and then that's all you need to do for parallelization, okay? So it's very straightforward, and, and uh, the, I understand, you know, the C++ guys really like it because it actually has the strong C++ flavor to it, which is different from OpenMP. I mean, some of you are more familiar with OpenMP trade-offs between these two, but for C++, you know, OpenMP has its limitation, and this is a much easier to, yes? 
how to guarantee independence of loop iterations? Or how yeah, how is that so, so you, yeah, this is not an automatic compiler. It's not an automatic parallelization library. You have to make sure you are you're independent. Yeah. Is the impact point going to be you parallelize it for n, where n is a fixed number that you specify at compile time? Or is it going to be like, I want you to parallelize given the system that has yeah, 500? 12 cores for instance. Yeah, so, so the, the beauty of this thing is actually, you know, if you do Windows thread, you have to manually uh, manage the threads. Right? So here, the library itself does the, not only managing the number, number of cores, but also managing uh, uh, scheduling for you as well. So you can do different ways of doing scheduling. So how does this compare to the Java concurrency utilities? Java concurrency utility tends to be, Java is more designed for multitasking kind of thing, not really for performance. And this is more designed for performance. This is um, almost direct cut and paste of what you can do with Java as well. So they um, have the same set of tools for this particular example. Yeah, but performance-wise, I think there's a very big difference between this and the Java implementation. I mean, Java you can do parallelization, no problem with parallelization. But <coughs> Java threads are very heavy threads. Yes. Just an implementation question. Do you use a resident thread pool for this, or do you create and destroy threads on demand? Um, if I'm not an implementer for it, but I, but I believe we use uh, resident threads for it. Uh, we don't need uh, to expensive to dynamically uh, create these things. So I wouldn't be surprised because you manage a set of, tool, set of threads and then you, you schedule that one. Yes? So how do you, as a programmer, how do you know when it will be uh, worth paying whatever over it is, overhead it is to set up this parallel loop uh, versus the uh, versus the speed up or performance. Uh, um, you 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 as a programmer you have to have initial you have to have a gut feel for how much whether you can get get parallel performance out of it, right? So that's the initial that's the initial that's the initial uh, stage, right? Um, actually, that's a good question. Um, so there's, there's a big difference between HPC programmers and uh, the mainstream programmers. Okay. So when I used to work with HPC programmers, they never asked that question. Right? They just, you know, because they know they're going to get something out of it, right? So they spend their time, they tune for it, and they will get it. And when I talk to my mainstream customers right now, I often get asked, you know, why should I spend my time doing this? Thing, right? I need to know whether it's worth my ROI for this. So as a part of the discover tools we're doing right now, we're actually doing a, a uh, performance estimator. So we're doing estimator to provide you know, some kind of 15 minute quick feedback and, and, and to tell them, hey, do you want to do this or you don't have to do this? Yes? So by your examples in C++ and C, are you basically drawing a line where Intel is going to support only that language as opposed to the any others because you know uh, no the no. traditional I didn't say that uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't say that but our, our, our current strength is C, C++ and Fortran um, so you are going to support Fortran the traditional HPC oh yeah yeah we, we're, we're not dumping them we, we, we still want to keep them as happy customers but we certainly want to shift to the to mainstream to mainstream uh, programs What's your experience when you deal with processes, for instance? So they are more elevated and it, it's, it becomes to the real challenge. What's your experience with, with really paralyzing so processes if you, and then can you apply this schema still? Or? Um, this is for threads, actually. It's yeah. not for processes. Yeah. Now, it's if you want to do processes, um, then it becomes, I mean, the trade-off would be different. You have to find enough work to justify the open. Um, okay, let me run faster because I'm, I'm running out of time. Uh, so the other new things we have done recently is transactional memory. Now you asked a question earlier. And this is not even a product. Okay, the one I mentioned earlier was a product. And this is a prototype which is put out on the website. Actually, Intel has a website called whatif.intel.com. It's a place where we're putting some interesting stuff for people to try. You know, Google has Google Labs, and IBM has something similar also. So we actually started something like this recently. Um, so transactional memory, it's, it's called software transactional memory. Um, and I guess, do you guys know about transactional memory, or 
Oh, you all know Gaussian filtering. Okay, so I don't have to explain what it is. And uh, basically, we have a compiler and a runtime out on the on the on the website. And uh, this is sort of example, you know, that shows how you get actually use the syntax we have. And uh, um, I know Christos is not here today in the CS department. Actually, is uh, they have he has a group working on TM as well. And uh, uh, we have a different syntax in terms of describing transactional memory. He's mainly OpenMP syntax. And we actually have an orthogonal approach, uh, meaning we have a TM syntax which is orthogonal to different ways of parallelizing it. Could be OpenMP, could be, you know, could be a Windows thread, could be anything, right? So, so um, but the idea is, is very similar in terms of supporting TM, okay? Um, so the third set of tools is what we call credits tool. As I mentioned earlier, this is more of an older set of tools we have, uh, which make sure you have a correct program. And as you know, for, for those of you who actually have, have done parallel programming, it's not easy to figure out bugs, right? Uh, it, may, you know, it may not even be deterministic. Um, so we have a tool to help you uh, figure out whether your data raises or not. Okay? Uh, it's an instrumentation-based technology uh, so when you actually run it, it you know it's, it's, it takes some time to run it, but uh, that's the best we have at this, at this point. Okay, the best industry has actually uh, for this kind of uh, this kind of tool. Yes. Um, how uh, thorough is the thread checker? Does it do the static analysis? So can it discover all possible? States? No, it, 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 it uses uses static analysis to uh, to uh, trim down the amount of instrumentation you want to do. Um, but it doesn't do standardized how much it is. Um, it's, it's more, it's a runtime based thing. Okay. Uh, this is just a screenshot. Um, running out of time, I won't go into detail here. The last set of tools is, uh, is performance. So once you have a correct program, you need to figure out whether you have performance or not. So there are many different issues you need to you know, figure out whether you have uh, low balance, for example, right? So we have a tool to tell you how, how much, you know, how well you're doing in terms of performance. Uh, and as somebody asked earlier, you know, how do you know you get performance? So one way of figuring it out is you do the work and then you validate to see if you get performance or not. And, uh, and then you, you do more tuning using, using that tool. Okay. All right, so this is just a, a screenshot of, of the software profile. Yeah. All right, so with, the, with all these tools, what do, we, what do you user get, right? So I have two examples of how, what kind of performance user can get. So this is just a simple example from uh, uh, it's a real application from Russia, actually, because we are so global now, we work with customers everywhere. It's a, it's a weather forecast application. And uh, um, so when they, they, they are more migrating away from a Cray machine that they had for, for a while to, to, for Intel machine. And at the beginning, they tried, you know, we tried our compiler, they got, when they compare against a Cray machine, the Cray is actually a CPU machine. So we have a single thread, single core performance against eight-core eight machine, eight-processor machine, we're beating them by 20%. Okay, so that's probably a very old, great machine. Um, and uh, then you apply more advanced compiler optimizations to it, and uh, you got 2.5x. So you actually increase by 2x, ba uh, about baseline. And then you do some source code change, add some directives, you know, you get more performance over there. Um, and then you add OpenMP to this, you got like 10x performance on the, on the full CPU uh, machine here. Okay? So tools, you know, do make a very dip big difference if you, if you, if you use it right. Okay? So four dual-core uh, These are four uh, single-core Athenian. Actually, data is a little bit old, actually. Um, they are not, not the amount of zeros we have. Right? Well, I'm interested in what, happen on, what happens on an eight-core machine, because clearly this code was designed to scale well to eight CPUs on the Cray. So uh, the question is, how many world does it do on the Intel? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have latest data for it. But um, four core seems to be reasonable. I mean, 2.5 out of, out, of, uh, out of four. So does the tool that would excessive parallelism because of the memory band is well known as the cache image? Ah, yeah. So we have uh, usually, OK, the usually the tools, usually, for example, compiler doesn't pay attention to, to bandwidth. Uh, but we do have. Um, uh, optimization, mainly actually doing prefetch. Because we find data prefetch is a two-edged sword, right? On a single core, usually, if you're very aggressive on data prefetch, you, you get a lot of good performance out of it. But 
But then when you run it on multi-threaded machine, all of a sudden, hey, it's just too many useless prefetch going on. So that's part of we actually have some way of tuning for it to control the amount of bandwidth at, at run. Well, at the at the run, yeah. Uh, so you have to check something. Okay, so I'll skip this example. I'm running out of time here. Um, future tools. In addition to what we have, what I told you earlier, uh, we're also looking at a few other tools. You know, uh, for example, program model. Obviously, is a big is a big question here, right? So when we want to uh, raise the level of programming abstraction, uh, you know, what is the better best programming model for that? Uh, the current way of doing, doing threading may be still too low level. Right? Um, and uh, you know, heterogeneous computing, when we go to multi-core, you know, things may be different. How, what's the programming model for that? Um, and uh, somebody asked, uh, um, you know, are we only looking at the CC++? You know, so far we are, but we're also looking into you know, whether we should support a Java or .NET. Right? Uh, but, so, but so far, for example, Java you know, on the parallel side, <coughs> tend to be, you know, the server side and you have more, more transaction process. And uh, it's, it's not a lot of opportunity for doing parallelization. And, and uh, .NET, you know, tend to be on the, on the client side, but they do a lot of GUI kind of stuff. So not a lot of computation there either. But we will see when these languages pick up, uh, you know, we, we will support those as well. Um, and the other thing, you know, people have me ask is uh, Web 2.0 kind of thing, right? People are doing all kinds of scripting language nowadays. And what kind of tools we can provide for that? I mean, that's another thing we're looking into. And we are, we have a binary translation tool, um, which is very effective. It actually translates from x86 to Artanian. And uh, um, you know, we'll continue to look into binary translation technologies as well as, as uh, dynamic applications. Okay. So the last slide is call to action. Right? So I've told you what we have. Um, you know, we've made a big progress, we have a good set of tools, but obviously we're not there in terms of solving the parallel programming problem. And uh, it's up to you guys here who are doing active research. You may have a lot of PhD thesis you can do you know, on this topic. And, uh, um, and uh, you know, once you get great ideas, um, you know, come to Intel, join us, do something interesting. So with that, I think that's the end of my part. Questions and maybe Renee and I can and both answer your questions. Yeah, but I think we're almost out of time. Okay. Okay. I mean, one more. Yeah. If, so if if threading, the current model of threading is too low level, what's the replacement? That's a good question. We don't know yet. I mean, people have been thinking about various different ideas. If you follow, for example, uh, your CS department, are you from CS from the? Oh, oh, you could. Yeah, I actually read you before. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, you know, in CS department here, they're looking at uh, um, different domain-specific language, right? And if you look at the stuff, you know, uh, they presented in the, in the at Berkeley, looking at all the dogs, searching dogs, and so on. So there's some interesting ideas going to come out, but I don't think the question is answered yet. Let's do. Okay. Yes. So how well does STM work in, in your experience? Mm -hmm. Can you can you comment on which S one? STM uh, this STM? Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's still early, right? I mean, S transactional memory certainly has its has its <coughs> appeal in terms of the problem it's solving, but it also has. Uh, I guess you all know the benefit, potential benefits in terms of speculation, composability, all that stuff, right? But also has, you know, sort of uh, uh, what I call things that have not been resolved yet, right? I mean, there's, you know, memory model issue. I don't know whether you guys look into it or not. Uh, you, get, you get a very, very uh, non-intuitive uh, uh, behavior out of it when, you, when, you, you know, when you're not careful with memory model. And uh, so I don't know what is the, what would be accepted by user when they, when they debug their thing. They look at, you know, I expect value to be five. All of a sudden, you give me two, which I cannot find the interleaving to get to, right? At least non-intuitive way of getting there. Uh, and the other question is whether you know, atomic construct is the right level of abstraction. I mean, that's, to me, you know, maybe, maybe we need to do somewhere about that. I think we're running out of time. Thank you. For information on other online Stanford seminars and courses, please visit study.stanford.edu.
The preceding program is copyrighted by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu.